Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 52. This is Running Excuses, GMing and collaborative storytelling with Natasha Entz. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. And we are live at LTUE again. And we are super excited to have Natasha Entz on the podcast with us. Tell us just a little bit about yourself. Alrighty, so I'm actually a professional game master, which means I have the amazing opportunity of living an amazing life where every day I get to wake up and play tabletop RPGs which with really cool people who have hired me to create stories for them. All right, I know the first question everyone is going to ask when they hear this is, how in the world did you end up being a professional GM and how can they do it? <laughs> I decided that pretty much any time you have to spend time doing something that takes any amount of talent, creativity, and skill, there is a market for it. So you can sell that. All right, so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Howard's like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> that's yeah, that's um, very wise. He said, yeah, very wise. Um, so I, I just want to throw the first question out: um, How do you design a story, knowing that your audience is going to have direct control over what happens? Right? As, I'm as a novelist. I, I, my characters never surprise me. Some novelists talk, talk about this, right? Oh, I, I didn't expect my character to go do this. No, I know what my character's going to do. And if they aren't doing what I want them to, I either rebuild the outline for them or I force them. You know, I, I find a way to make it work. But you can't really do either of those things. So how do you tell a story not knowing where it's going to go? So my background is 
My background in education is in creative writing, and I like to consider myself like a landscape architect. Hmm. I go in and I set up my little plots, my little areas where I plant my seeds, and then I let them grow. But I have to go in and trim that back every once in a while. And I go in with my beginning story in mind, and I plot that big arc. I know where the beginning is. I know kind of where I want it to end up. And along that way, I can plot the big markers. And then I get the characters, right? And I don't get to pick those characters. <laughs> I get someone else who comes in and says, hey, I really want to play this half-orc barbarian with a crush on cats, you know? <laughs> or I really want to play a bard puppeteer who is a fallen angel and, no, this is legit. This is legit with multiple personalities. It's amazing. It's amazing. I love it, though. Okay? And then I get to sit down and plot out, okay, what are these person's flaws that they have given me? What are the good things about them? And what is this person's art going to look like? Very basically. Uh, I love that uh, metaphor of being a gardener and planting all of those seeds. Because when you're doing collaborative storytelling like this, it really is kind of a matter of planting as many seeds as you can and then seeing which one the audience, the players or the readers or whatever it is, grabs hold of. There are certain story seeds that they're going to love. They're going to be fascinated by that one character. They want to go back and talk to her all the time or that one kind of magic or that one weird monster. And as long as you've got lots of those and a lot of them tied into who the characters are and, and, and what kind of person they are, then no matter what direction the players or the readers want to go, you're ready because you've planted enough seeds. Uh, my friends and I used to joke that our, our definition of the problem player was when the GM says, okay, we're going to be playing a uh, 16th century uh, age of sale game, no magic, uh, you know, let's talk about our characters. And he's the guy who says, I want to be a ninja. <laughs> and, and reflecting on that now, I think, hmm, you know what? The GM's job is to now roll a ninja into a 16th century age of sale game. And that's gonna make a story that none of us have ever heard before. Very much or so. hadn't heard before Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're designing a story, you're coming up with these sort of prompts, these hooks and things like this. When you're designing this story, do you design everything, that every place they could go? I'm going to assume not. So when you're doing it in the moment, uh, any tips, tricks, suggestions on keeping the story going when it goes a direction you're not expecting? So we just talked about story seeds, right? You fall back on those. You keep your notes of saying, okay, they really liked this like two towns back or three sessions ago or however, <laughs> however long ago that was, right? You say, oh, they ran into... Hogar, the bartender who has a three-year-old who's kind of sick and needs some medicine, and this one character really connected with that. So maybe I'll riff off of that, and now they've run into a medicine woman, right? And you can tie that back in and allow them to take off with those tiny plot hooks 
when they have nothing else to do. Dan, I know a lot of the uh, role-playing games you're a part of kind of go off the rails a little bit because I've been in many of them. Um, what do you do? You really like collaborative storytelling. I like, you, I've played some card games with you that are collaborative storytelling, um, card games that really are about just building a story. What draws you to this? Um, because this always scares me. I don't want to be out of control as an author, um, mm-hmm. but you obviously really enjoy it. What can writers learn from collaborative storytelling? Uh, Yes, Brandon and I have been in a lot of role-playing groups together for about 20 years now. And one of the things we learned very early on is that one of us had to be the GM. Because if both of us were players at the same time, the game would go so far into the weeds that it was unrecoverable. Um, And I know Natasha's thinking, I could have fixed it. And she probably could have. Um, uh, I love collaborative storytelling because of your ability to come up, like Howard was just saying, with things that you wouldn't have thought of yourself. And I know I've talked about this on the show before, that if I create a scenario that is exactly what I need it to be, it runs the risk of feeling very artificial. If I didn't know that that story was going to have a ninja in it, or a shepherdess, or a whatever it is, then, you know, it it, it runs that risk of feeling flat. And so I am drawn towards role-playing games, collaborative storytelling in general, because taking what somebody else throws out there and rolling with it and saying, oh, I was not expecting that twist, but I've got such a great follow-up to it, uh, it ends up being much more than the sum of its parts. So much of my background was in improv, um, which seems like it has a lot of a lot of parallels to what you're doing. And one of the things that my coach told me very early on, because I was coming in from being a writer, he's like, don't let the narrator brain come into this. Because as soon as you let the narrator brain come in, uh, what it does is that you're making decisions for the other actors in the thing. And and we would always talk about uh, this idea of yes and, that you would say, whatever, you know, like, ninja on a sailing ship? Yes. And... You also have, you know, and that you would, you would fold it in, but you are actually, you actually are the narrator. So I'm curious, kind of when you're doing this, how much, um, how much do you steer them? Like, okay, apparently this question was not as well formed as I thought it was going to be, because now I want to talk about puppet theater. Keep going. Because one of the things that we that we brought from from puppet theater was when we're doing an interactive uh, story thing with the audience where they are mm-hmm. participating, is that uh, that there were ways to actually steer the choices that the audience made, and and that's kind of the thing that I'm curious about if you can do that in this interactive storytelling. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you are nodding. Oh, absolutely. Because you don't. So when you put a fork in the road. You don't have to tell them which fork the castle that you want to want them to go to is down. You just have to say, which fork would you like to go down? And then they pick one, or they pick to go down, you know, the middle and go into the field that is, you know, between the two forks. But the castle's in there, too. (laughs) So it doesn't really matter they're still making the same decision because ultimately you know where that cast is going to be. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. 
A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week, which is not a book. It's actually a Patreon. Tasha, tell us about your Patreon. So I just launched a Patreon, which is actually encounters that you can plop right into your tabletop games. And I wanted to do this because so many times in gaming, we see repeats of scenes. So the first one that I put out was a gambler's alley. And we've seen this in shows like The Road to El Dorado. It's one of the opening scenes where they're playing that dice game behind, you know, whatever place, right? And you see this multiple times over and over and over again. And it gives characters the chance to be characters. Whereas in so many games with random encounters, it's often a fight. And I wanted to have some story in there. Awesome. So um, everyone can check it out. Just patreon.com slash Natasha Entz. Slash Natasha Entz. Um, so one of the things I've noticed, a uh, big dividing line between good GMs and bad GMs, and I've been in groups with both, um, and I've been both in my, in my life, is that the good GM focuses on making sure the experience is fun for everyone. It's that sense of fun you're looking for, um, that collaboration, but you make sure that every, every player is you know, satisfied and enjoys what they're doing. So I guess my question for the whole panel is, um, how do you, what is not fun? 
What are the pitfalls? What are things that you've done, you've done in a role-playing session, or you maybe even found you wrote it in your books and you thought everyone was going to enjoy this, and then they ran into it and people just did not have any fun at all? Uh, When we were developing the uh, Planet Mercenary role-playing game, I was... Uh, you know, we, we ran some tests and uh, some, some play tests and people wanted to play with me as the GM. And that is my very definition of not fun. Um, at first, I thought it would be awesome, but then I realized, I actually realized this very quickly, um, I'm carrying that whole universe in my head and I have a firm set of rules for what a story needs to be and needs to not be. And the product we were creating needed to not be that. I needed to let those people tell their stories. And so what was fun for me was when we did a Gen Con play test and I was one of the players and people kept turning to me. I was the medic. They kept turning to me like, what do we do now? And I'm like, I'm counting (laughs) band-aids. And then they ran with the story and that was wonderful for me because I let go. One thing that I find that can be done well, but that is very often done wrong is the recurring villain in a role-playing game. And and that sounds like such an easy thing to do because everyone loves recurring villains. The person we love to hate, oh good, it's them again. I can't wait to punch them in the face after the insult they gave me last time, whatever it is. Um, but the way that often plays out in practice is this person gets away no matter what you do because I need them to come back again in the future. Um, and so that, that's not fun. The characters have spent the whole adventure, maybe several sessions in a row, trying to catch this person or trying to stop this person, and then they get away because the GM has thus decreed that they shall be a recurring villain and will come back later. And that really kind of deflates a lot of the energy. On the other side of that is also always succeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You also want the main characters to fail, so getting by by the skin of their teeth sometimes is what they need to feel successful or so that in the future battles or in the future scenes, they can still feel successful. So I, I very much enjoy the, the ones where I'm, we're doing problem solving, like puzzles, escape stuff. That's, that's super fun for me. And I find it so frustrating when I'm playing with someone like Sam Sykes who just enjoys breaking the rules. That's, that's his fun spot. And so for me, when I'm in a situation like playing with Sam Sykes, ahem. <laughs> what I, Don't worry, he doesn't listen to our show. No. I'm sure that none of our listeners are tweeting at him right now saying how annoyed I am with him. Sam. <laughs> Um, so w- what I have to do then is is very much what Howard was talking about. It's like I just kind of have to let go and go, okay, this is not one where I'm going to get to solve things unless it is, you know, the thing that I solve is drugging Sam's character and strapping it to the back of a horse, which I may or may not have done. <laughs> now this plays into kind of my answer to my own question, that one of my big uh, moments as a GM where I feel like I made great strides in being better was when I realized um, I could, my job was to construct a story where every player got to be special in the way they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a struggle because early on, um, I would be very, no, you can't have this special thing, it breaks the rules. 
um, and everyone will get jealous of you because we were all focused on who had the best stats. And as we matured as people and as players, we started to realize what Jordo wanted was just to have a secret past. He didn't, ha- he didn't have to actually, you know, he didn't have to have special powers related to it. He just had to have the secret past. Um, and what Earl wanted was Earl just wanted to be unkillable because it was stressful for him if his character could die. And if he just knew that his character could never die, you know, this is the thing that I didn't want to give him because I'm like, well, if you can never die, there's no stress, stress and tension. He did not want stress and tension. (laughs) He wanted to enjoy the story. And the moment where we realized we could make Earl indestructible and that was a feature that the rest of the party could throw him to a room of traps and it would like, they would all go off (laughs) and he would start on fire, get chopped to pieces and then come back to life and they could get through, they could use his superpower to problem solve. The whole team loved this and we had a much better experience than when we had been trying to be like, who has the best stats? Who's going to die? Who's not going to die? We accomplished that, by the way, by making Earl a half-dragon troll who was therefore fireproof. (laughs) Uh, In addition to everything else, I think acid was the only thing that could harm him, which was in itself this beautiful little holy grail thing that could show up as a MacGuffin in the middle of a story. There'd be, you know, like the one drop of acid on the floor and Earl's like, I'm out. (laughs) And I'm not in there. I'm not going anywhere near this dungeon. And, And like you said, everybody loved it. We are out of time. This has been a very different episode. I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, thank you so much, Natasha, for making this and possible. thank you. Um, thank you to our live audience. Um, Natasha, I'm going to ask you, do you have a writing prompt you can give us? I do. All right. So since we just talked about games going a little badly, <laughs> I'd like you guys to write about a game that's gone badly. And we've seen this in the past, like... The Hunger Games, or let's see, even we've seen this in Ready Player One and some other things. Excellent. Make that game go poorly. Um, This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.